0: that's very important because it's dealing with the issue of how do we live together as brothers and sisters in Christ? That's obviously an issue that's big for all people and believers, I should say. And this is really important. Just if you were with us last week, just to give you a little background. What's going on? We've been in, we're going into First Corinthians chapter twelve, a great chapter. But just a little review of last week. it talked a little bit about caring for the body of believers. That we're caring for one another as Christians, and making sure that that's a goal for us. That's 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 a, 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 something we need to be focusing on. He talked about the apostle talked about. How we have to examine ourselves. We don't just come casually to this table and say, Oh, yeah, that's great, man, bread and crack, you know, crackers, that's great. It's like, no. This is coming to meet the Lord with the Lord's people. In fact, he makes it very clear that he talks about the fact there's judgment on those who are believers who misuse the Lord's table. That if you want the Lord's presence with you here at this table, that you need to be examined yourself and say, Lord, is there anything you need to teach me? Is there anything I need to do? Is there something I need to give up? Say, Lord, what was it you would have me to do? And so that's what our passage last week was about. And it brings us right into this chapter, which is very well known. At least sections of this you'll find that you remember well in your studies in the past. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I invite you to follow with me. Paul's going to be doing a lot of talking here about the role of the spirit. In fact, some commentators have made the point that here in this passage, you're seeing, again, things about the Father, the Son doing this, the Spirit doing that. And it's kind of a, almost like an early Trinitarian thing that's starting to be coming there. We're talking about the Father, and the Father sends the Son, and the Son has been in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is doing this in the church, and he's doing that in the church, and he's leading and guiding and so Paul is using those very things that in centuries later would become all part of what we talk about when we talk about the God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so he talks about this way saying, "Now, I want about matters about the spirit, that word spirit's going to come right through this passage, about the spirit, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware. You know that how when you were pagans, you were led by dumb idols, being led astray. But then he comes at this point, therefore I'm informing you, if you notice here, I'm informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. Now stop for a minute. Anybody can say Jesus is cursed. I mean, anybody can say those words. So what does Paul mean when he's saying that? He seems to be saying this. He's saying right here, he said, therefore I'm informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God can do that. other no, words, a person who's really a believer would never say those words, Jesus is cursed. By the way, that word curse is from that word ana- Greek, anathema. We use that phrase to talk about the anathema, like someone is under a curse. And so it's interesting that the uh, Roman uh, writer, um, and I think it was Livy, I think it was, who did that, he said, oh yeah, he said, one thing you can tell about if they're really Christians because we'll tell them we will let you go or we won't make you suffer as much if you say Jesus is cursed and Livy said no the real Christians would never say Jesus is cursed even if that meant their own life or of their child they would say a Christian would never do that because they said that's one of the most awful things you could do to say Jesus is cursed. The second part's a little stranger. And no one can say Jesus is Lord. Of course, everybody can say Jesus is Lord. But boy, point is, again, no one who really knows the Lord. I mean, It has to be a real person who is empowered by the Spirit to be able to do that. So let's go on what he says on. He said, listen, there's different kind of ministries that God has for his people. But it's the same Lord. He keeps using this word same, <laughs> one, same again. It's the same Lord. And there are different activities that people do in the church. But the same God is active in everyone and in everything. A manifestation of the Spirit, and he's going to use this word spirit so many times in this passage. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person and to produce what is beneficial. Again, he's talking about the fact how God is using people, bringing them together to build the church that he wants, how God has for us to be beneficial. To one is given a message of wisdom. Now think about how important that was. This is the early church. There's a lot of suffering going on. And they said, we really need. They said, to one is given a message wisdom. God has spoken through somebody by the Holy Spirit to said, I believe the Lord has told me to tell us X, that we need to do Y, and here's why. And of course, the word God was speaking to people in that time in that way. And it was necessary. People say, what do we do? They're coming to take us away. Do you think we should stay here or should we all pack up and leave? Those are hard decisions. Particularly if you're maybe you have a big home or something like that. You don't want to lose it. And if they needed people needed wisdom, who's going to tell us? Who's going to give us the wisdom to know what to do in this terrible situation, the suffering we're in? And he says, Well, okay, you're going to need someone by the Spirit, given by the Spirit to produce what's beneficial. And then he says, as one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit to another a message of knowledge knowledge and wisdom by the way are often put together there's a difference but they're close and then he goes to another a message of knowledge by the same spirit keeps saying it's the holy spirit the holy spirit how many times you want to say it he'll give you a few more to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same spirit To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. All the way, talking about the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. Actively working in the life of believers and in the community of the church. To another, different kind of languages. Or you could put it tongues. Different kind of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. It's important. We know from our passage, we've already studied, there were people there in the church that were speaking in tongues. Sometimes it was getting out of hand. Paul had to deal with it. But here he's saying at this time, he said, listen, you know, you've got this thing, a thing you think you can speak in tongues, but remember what Paul said. He said, if there isn't anybody to interpret, what's the point? You may be having your own little personal time with Jesus, but nobody else knows what you're talking about. Paul Paul's saying, no, you need an interpreter. We want somebody, the Spirit, to help us interpret what that person is saying. And so Paul's saying, this is very, very important for him, but he says, but the one and the same Spirit, he keeps coming back to the one and the same, but one and the same Spirit is active in all of these. Now notice this key phrase, distributing to each one as he wills. It's not what we will, but what God wills for us. And that's an important distinction. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all that parts of the body, though they may, are all one, then part of the body, so also is Christ. And notice what he says here. But the one and the same Spirit, that same Spirit that is dealing and helping and, excuse me, and leading in all these ways, it's the Holy Spirit. Distributing to each one as he wills. Now notice verse 12. For as the body is one, and as many parts and all the parts of that body are the many They're one body so also is Christ and then he uses this unusual phrase for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body let's stop right there for most of us people like me who grew up in Baptist I hear Baptist I think dunking you know it's time to get somebody to get saved and get dunked he's not using it in that way he says for we we're all baptized by one Spirit, the point he's trying to make. Like in baptism, you know, you go into the water, at least when you're in Baptist kind of thing, and you dipped in the water to new life. He's not using that thing, but he's saying, we We're all baptized by one Spirit. In other words, when you came to faith in Christ, you were then brought into them, him. It's like you're being a baptism into coming into faith in him by having the Spirit. And it's interesting he says, By one Spirit into one body. And it is interesting here, because he seems to be talking about here. Remember, he loves to use this phrase, in Christ. This person is in Christ. When you come to Christ, you are in Christ. It's like you're being melded together with him. And he's using that same phraseology there to make the point that when we come to faith in Christ, he said, we have been brought together now by the Spirit into this oneness that we have as Christians and the believers. And so he comes back and said, so whether you're Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the one spirit. Now he uses another little illustration. You know, just as like you pour water and you take in a drink, it's like you're pouring the spirit in you that God gives us. So the body is not one part, but many. In other words, there's diversity in the oneness of the body of Christ. And the passage it comes to now, many of us have read this many times, and it's, it's, I don't know if Paul meant it to be funny, or, but it kind of comes across that way. He comes off and said, well, now suppose the food should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I I don't belong to the body. He says, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. Well, if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. And he goes on and says, notice what he says here. He says, in spite of all this, it still belongs to the body. You You can't cop out on the body of Christ. And God has decided where you'll be, but everyone has something that they can do to serve in the, in, the, in, the, in the church he said if the whole body were an eye well, where would the hearing be if the whole, the whole were an ear where would the sense of smell be and then he goes on and he talks about the fact but now God has placed the parts each of them in the body and here's his key phrase just as he wanted that's very important we talk a lot about the spirit does this but it's saying it's the Holy Spirit that's going to decide in the positions that you have and what you do And it is important to see how he does. He said, you know, if if they're all the same part, well, where would the body body be? Now, there are many parts, yet there are one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, well, I don't need you. Nor, again, the head to the feet, well, I don't need you. On the contrary, now notice this phrase, all the more those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. This kind of goes with Jesus' teaching about the upside-down kingdom. The upside-down kingdom where it seems like those that are at the top are going to be at the bottom. Those at the bottom are going to be at the top. It's again this idea of the fact that God is turning it back in the opposite way of what you'd expect. And he's saying, you know that person in the church who doesn't maybe speak up much. Maybe they're not a great speaker. Maybe they don't have a lot of these gifts. And they're going to say, wait a minute. He said, maybe those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. You've heard this before, but I mean, I mean, there's some people think, I don't have any gifts. You know, I'm the hangnail on the body of Christ. It's like, that's not true. Everybody has something that they could be a part of that. And so he says, and you notice what he says. And Those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we close these with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts, we have a better presentation. We go, excuse me? basically saying, you know how we cover our reproductive organs. And we, most of us hopefully don't walk around without some kind of coverage at that point. Unless you're, never mind, I'm going to quit right there. Okay. But the point is he seems to be making this thing of saying, but you dress, you very careful about what you do in terms of that, and how you c- cover yourself. And so he's making the point, things that you would think, oh, that's not something we want to talk about, or let's not think about it. He said, no, it's important because God is even using that. And he says in verse 24, but our presentable parts have no need of, and by the way, of clothing, because it it's not there in the text. It's making the point for whatever clothing we have. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. And notice what he says. So that there would be no division. The great strat- the sadness of the Christian church is split after split after split after split. And right here, he says, so there would be no division. By the way, the Greek term there is schismata. We get the word schism coming out of that. He said, so that there would be one, there would be no schismata, no divisions in the body. But the members would have the same concern for each other. So far, if one member suffers, all the members suffer. It's kind of like the idea that we're all spiritually connected. We're wired together. When Melody is hurting we're hurting. When Tom is hurting, Susan's hurting. It's saying because of the fact that we're connected with Christ by the Holy Spirit, what one person hurts, we all hurt. And it also gives us the opportunity to care for one another. And he said, so if one member suffer, all the members suffer, and he says, and if one member's honored, all the members rejoice in it. Now there's both as we can deal with them in sorrow, but we can also be with them in joy we've had that many times we have new babies come in we have this happening a person has this and we can rejoice with people with that and now what he does here if you notice in the section is very important it seems like he's giving us at this point in the early church saying here's my list of things that are absolutely necessary for a church to be doing what it needs to do and it's really one of the best we have in the New Testament and he makes it pretty clear he has this famous phrase, now you are the body of Christ. People go, me? Yeah, you. And it's interesting, some scholars make the point that this passage may be the first time that the Apostle Paul is speaking in terms of not the local church, the church of Ephesus, the church of whatever, but the church, the capital C church, the church of all believers around the world. He says, when he goes on, when he talks about here, now you are the body of Christ. And he said, yeah, but do you know anything about Corinth? Don't you remember, Paul? You spent a year and a half there. Do you remember the mess that they are? Well, they're better now, but the wor- how bad they were? Yeah, we know. But he said, you are still part of the body of Christ. And now you are the body of Christ and you're individual members of it. And then he has his list. Number one, first thing he says, we need Apostles not just the twelve apostles that jesus talked about that we know about by the way by the time that paul Paul was writing this several of those apostles were probably dead some are on the move some are moving going out into the different areas but he said we absolutely must have apostles these are men that god has called to establish new churches to be able to help churches get going so first of all we definitely need the apostles But second, he says, and this might be a little different, he says, we need prophets. Because we're dealing in a situation where the scriptures have not been written, or actually they're being written right during this time. They need a word from God in the midst of their struggles to know what God has for them. So, he said, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Some of these people have come out of paganism some of them have just a small understanding of what the gospel is. They said they desperately we desperately need men and women that'll teach the scriptures. By the way, I mentioned this before, but when I was really young, we were in the Salvation Army, and I'm very grateful for it. As you know, 3 out well, really all four of my grandparents came to the faith of the Lord through the Salvation Army. I'll always be grateful for that. But on the other hand, they spent much more time on the music. In that case it was band music sorry Michael but it was band music not your kind of band music I'm talking about trumpets and that stuff and they didn't spend that much time on teaching it was very interesting when we moved to Philadelphia from Buffalo New York we did not have a Salvation Army Corps to go to so we went to a Baptist church and it was a really an eye-opening thing for my parents and I personally it sounds terrible it wasn't a great church But when they went there, they said, why had nobody ever told us this stuff? And they grew in their faith in those early months because they realized no one was really doing a lot of teaching. They'd read a passage, say a few words about it, and move on, and let's play music again. And so it's interesting. He's saying this is absolutely crucial that we have teachers. Next, miracles. That's a little odd. In what sense? Saying these unbelievers they need to see the miraculous work of God can do maybe in healing which will come up in others saying where well, they could see the power of God in front of them. Aphrodite doesn't heal anybody but you know what our, our Savior Jesus does so they talk about the importance of miracles then gifts of healing okay that was a big thing there were people that were suffering healing was a big thing helping managing various kinds uh, of, of languages So it's insane. All these things are important. All these things work together. And it's absolutely necessary for what they're doing. Now Paul's going to ask six rhetorical questions. They're all going to answer with the the question, no. Basically what he's going to say, he's going to ask the question, by the way, it's written a little like, you can't really see it in English, but in Greek it has this little word may in it, which means it's the opposite of it. So it said, are all apostles? The answer, of course, is no. Not everybody's apostle. Are all prophets? No. Only some people had that gift of prophecy. Are all teachers? No. Do all do miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in language? No. Do all interpret? No. So what does that mean? It means you're not the one person that can do it all. Even though us pastors sometimes want to believe we could. We don't. We need other people that are involved. And so he's asking that question. Uh, many of you have read the message. Eugene Peterson was kind of a commentary he does on it. And here's how he put that phrase. He put it this way. But it's obvious by now, isn't it, that Christ's church is a complete body, not a gigantic, unidimensional, di- dimensional part. It's not all apostle. It's not all prophet. It's not all miracle workers. Not all healer. Not all praying tongues. Not all interpreting tongues. It's, hey, what's the point? The Point is, you don't have it all, and you need your brothers and sisters in Christ, to be a real church that God is using to make a difference in the lives of people. And then he ends this with this beautiful little phrase, but desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you an even better way. That better way, if you know, looked at the passage next Sunday, it's love, pursue love. It's called the love chapter. Many, many weddings, you've heard that, Passage, but it is a great passage. We'll be next week. Now, let's stop for just a second and talk about this for a moment. One of the big things that Paul keeps stressing here is the unity of the body. He's gone out of his way, it seems, to say, Do you realize that you need each other? Do you realize you need to make connections with each other? That you have to at times go out of your way to care for people? And Paul's saying, It is important. And that's really important for us who are meeting here. We've got the privilege. Uh, some of you saw that article I sent out from R.C. Sproul. I don't know if you got a chance to read it. It was a very interesting article. But he was making the point that for some of the megachurches, one of their big things is, that's one of the worst things is, is people say, hey, it's really good. You can go in, you can sing, you can get the message, you walk out. No one talks to you. And R.C. is saying, boy, they, that, that's a lousy thing to say. Why not trying to know that person? To get to, how can I help that person? How can we work together? And, Paul, and what's Paul? I mean, R.C. Sproul made the great comment. He said, you've got to be very careful. He said, because God has called us to be together. And it's interesting. You read some of the things people, particular people in big cities, and a lot of people, it's like the immense loneliness there is for so many of these people. There's many people, if you ask them, who's your best friend? Some of these people could not come up with a name. And what he's talking about here, this is critically important. For a church like us, we've got the privilege of doing that. We're small enough where you should be able to know everybody and the name of their dog. I'll give you a, a slide on the dog, but let's leave go with everybody else. It is important. Now here's a second question. When all this stuff was taking place in the Apostle Paul, when people were speaking in tongues, they were doing interpretations, miracles that were being to be done, healings all over the place, The question is always comes back to, why don't we see that now? I mentioned two weeks ago that a couple of the great church fathers in the 3rd and 4th century said, you know, we used to have that, but we don't see that very often very more. We see some, but a lot of those things that the Apostle Paul wrote about, we don't see that much anymore. It's an interesting thing. The question is, what about now? now? Many of you know that back in the seven, well, 80s, eight, early, late 80s and early 90s, there was a whole thing going on in the Charismatic Movement, or at least the Signs and Wonders Movement. You may have read about it. The signs and Wonders Movement was a big thing. And I was in Dallas Seminary at the time. And I was right there at that time when all of this started getting really weird. There was a guy who was there who was very, very charismatic. Not just charismatic in his theology, but charismatic in his, who he was and his name was John Wimber and he was a really favorite thing and what happened was uh, there was one of our, my professors who was teaching, I was, te- I was in his Hebrew class, he took a sabbatical for a year, and he came back and he said, you know what, I don't think Dallas Seminary is doing all that they ought to do, I think they need to recognize what Wimber is doing, that God is doing new things, people are being saved, people are coming to faith in Christ, people are having power experiences with God, that's coming like Acts chapter 2 again, it's, you know, like people are like, wow, and this had some really interesting things because things started getting kind of strange. And the person who uh, was there, who went out, his name was John Jack Deere, Jackie Deere, we used to call him. But Jack, some of you have met him, have known him over the years. These are both good. I'm talking about these guys, about four or five of them at the seminary that were involved in this. They were good men. Uh, Dr. Bodine was one of the guys. I I did did all his papers uh, for him. Great guys, but they became very caught up in this thing, uh, the signs and wonders movement. Jackie Deere, um, well what happened finally was they had a kind of big come to Jesus meeting and poor Dr. Campbell fired like four of them. I think it was actually five, but I can't remember who the fifth one was. But it was a very, very sad thing. Two of them were my professors, men that I loved. They went out in that, you know, that kind of direction that, that Jackie was going on with and uh, some of the other guys and it was, it was very painful. It was a hurtful thing at the church. Again, two of my professors left, and, and it hurt a lot. And they went on. And it, to me, it seemed like it got a little bit more stranger as time went on. And it got very, very strange at times. They were very big into healing, was one of their big things, was healing. Um, one of my professors, who I still keep in contact with some, um, his son jumped off a railroad track over the thing and killed himself. And that was a great sadness for him, this father. Uh, But they spent the night um, praying, calling the son to stand up, get out of the casket kind of thing. In Jesus' name, we command you to stand up and rise up. And, of course, the boy did not get up and rise. And it was a great sadness. And there was just a whole lot of hurt that went on with that. And it's very very sad because we say does God still do the things that he did then it doesn't seem like he's doing that you know you can go to some other countries at times and people said they have outbursts of things where you see there's healings and stuff that's great we're thankful for that but in general do we see the same things that Paul is talking about here no I don't I've never seen it in that way but one thing we need to be careful for is not going to saying, well God is never doing stuff like that anymore how do you know and how do we know that God might not do that? It's interesting, John Wimber, who's such a remarkable guy, he's with the Lord now. But he was asked this question. They asked and Dr. Wimber, said, you know, you've done all these healing things. What percentage of the people that you've prayed over have healed? And he honestly said, what percent? He said, 5%. Percent. 5%? Yeah, 5%. And even those, you kind of wonder, well, are they already sick, or what's the deal, or were they getting better on their own? So what we want to be careful of is recognize there's some people that go way too far in this. Hey, we're going to have the church just like they had it in the time of the Apostle Paul. Well, it doesn't seem like he's doing that now. But one of the things we've got to be very careful about is, but what about God wants to do that now? There has to be an openness in our hearts and our minds of saying, what, could it not be at some time where God might say, maybe before he comes, that there's going to be a miraculous time of thing where people are going to turn to the Lord? We have, talk about that. Look at the book of Revelation where it talks about God working. Maybe we'll live in that generation. Maybe your children, maybe your grandchildren will be alive when, when God does some great moving and, and there'll be a massive turning of people to Christ and then the Lord returns. We don't know. But we want to stay away from saying, God doesn't do that anymore. How do you know what God's doing? God is God. He can choose what He wants to do. But we want to be careful we don't be, in another way, we don't want to be foolish, saying, oh yeah, God's doing the same thing for everybody. No, He's not. But we still pray. And we still ask God to give us the wisdom that we need to serve Him. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage. that speaks to us so different, so so, so important to help us to remember how we are connected to you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that we are connected to one another, that we belong to one another, we serve with one another, we long to help each other. Father, we would ask that what you have taught us today would not go in one ear and out the other, but, Father, you would help us in being the body of Christ that you want us to be. Father, we pray that this church, that Grace Redeemer, would be known as a place where people know and others know each other and not only know who they are, they care for one another. Lord, be with us. Encourage us. Strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.